It's Monday, February 4th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. This is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we will be looking specifically at Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 31. And so this is what the Word of God says. And Saul, taking food, was strengthened, and for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him down by night and let him through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he intended to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who had spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. The very first thing that Paul proclaims after his meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus is that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the vital message to the message of the gospel and is the first evidence of Paul's sincere conversion. This is what Luke had previously recorded about Saul of Tarsus. Acts 8.3, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he was dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Acts chapter 9, the, the first part of this chapter, we see that Paul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Beloved, Saul had a radical conversion, and through this conversion, he met Jesus face to face. There was no doubt to Saul now that Jesus was the Son of God. And the truth of the matter is, that was what was so offensive about the gospel. This is why Paul had ravaged the church. This is why Paul had gone to the synagogue to, uh, to, to, to come against the believers. Because they weren't just saying that Jesus was a good man. They weren't just saying that Jesus walked and lived this earth. They were saying that Jesus was the Son of God. And to the Jewish leaders, this was blasphemy. And so for us to know that Paul immediately goes and proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God, that he had had a huge, radical conversion. Imagine someone talking to Saul about his salvation experience or asking him his testimony. So Saul, how, how'd you come to know Jesus? Saul would say, yeah, I came to him face to face. Well, you might say, yeah, through a brother who was sharing of the great grace and introduced you to Jesus. And Saul would say, no, dude, as in Jesus blinded me and introduced me to himself face to face. We want to come face to face with Jesus Christ, right? We can't come face to face with Jesus Christ and not be radically altered, radically changed, and radically commissioned. 
Paul, after being strengthened, immediately returns to the synagogue, but now with a new mission to proclaim the gospel. Explicitly, Saul proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. And so I want us to see four truths we find in God's Word about Jesus being the Son of God. First, life is found in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, beloved, there is no life found apart from knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. But the second truth we find in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God is this, to know God as Father is found in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John 2, 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. When we come to know Jesus, we come to know God as Father. Romans 8, 14-16, the beautiful passage about us no longer being in a yoke of slavery, but now being children of God. It says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Oh, to know God as Father is found in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. But this brings us to the third truth we find in God's Word about Jesus being the Son of God. And that is, number three, our true hope is found in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John 4.10 And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. And then we see in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoptions as sons. And then Romans 5, verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Huh. Beloved, there is absolutely no hope apart from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Saul knew this. He had found his hope in being the most passionate and ruthless persecutor of our brothers and sisters. But this left him insolent, angry, and hopeless. That's why he was mad. That's why he was uh, breathing threats. He was an angry, insolent man. But he found joy. He found hope when he came to Jesus. We can find hope in no other name but Jesus, the Son of God. And that brings us to the fourth and last truth we find in God's word about Jesus being the Son of God. And that is that faith, which helps us live, is found in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh, we have faith in knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, these truths must also be the bookends of our life in Christ. Our message, our hope, our faith, and our lives must be marked by the truth that Jesus was the Son of God. History books admit he lived. Jews, Muslim, and other religions admit he was a good teacher who walked the earth. Demons shudder at the existence of Jesus. But it is imperative that we live like Saul proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God. We have to live the gospel that Jesus is the Son of God. And that brings us to verses 21 through 25. You see, then we see through the narrative that the Jews, the Christians, and the people of Damascus were highly perplexed by the message of Paul. But Paul grew in faith, in passion, and depended day by day on the Father. 
Even Paul now had to be protected by those from whom he used to partner with in order to, to destroy Christ's followers. He had to be protected from those he partnered with by those he was trying to persecute. And these texts show us a radical conversion and should utterly remind us that no one is outside of the grace of Christ Jesus. This passage, while a historical narrative in nature, should also impact our hearts to look upon sinners with prayer, compassion, hope, empathy, and longing. You see, child abusers, drug addicts, homosexuals, liars, swindlers, gossips, and all in between have a misplaced hope and a misplaced throne. And we, like them, are constantly drawn to place ourselves on the throne of our life. We assume it's our place to determine what is right and wrong. We assume that the world revolves around us. We like the commercials that encourage us to have it our own way. We are like little demigods who insist that our way is right and that no one has the authority to tell us different. Beloved, this is us, and this was Saul. However, the gospel of Jesus changes all of that. We see in Saul's life, we see it in our lives, but the question is, are we praying for that in the lives of others? Are we believing that the man or woman who has abused substances can be transformed by the power of the gospel and become an excellent parent? Are we looking upon others with judgment or apathy? Please don't let the message of Saul's conversion miss even an important fact about Lifeline's Christian stance and doctrinal statement. You see, Lifeline is not a ministry, it's not a place that casts away sinners, but we are a place that accepts sinners who have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, have repented of their sin, and are following Christ in taking up their cross daily. Never let us point a finger of judgment or deem anyone as less than an image bearer of God, but also... May we never lose hope in gospel transformation in the life of all sinners, including ourselves. And this is what we see exemplified in the life of Barnabas, which we see uh, in, in verse 26. He was an encourager who believed the gospel power could truly change anyone. Barnabas believed in Paul before any letters or epistles were ever written. The apostles were terrified of Saul. But Barnabas believed the gospel could reform even the most vile of sinners. And the question today is, do you believe the gospel has the power to dramatically change people? Do we believe and embrace gospel power for life change as truth or as idealistic hope? Can the gospel change the heart of an orphan, embittered foster child, or a struggling birth parent? We must preach the gospel, and we must come alongside repentant sinners. So in closing, I want us to see four marks of a gospel encourager that are evident in the life of Barnabas. First, a gospel encourager is willing to take risk. Acts 9 verse 26 says, They were all afraid of him, being Saul, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Yet Barnabas took a risk. He took Saul in. He brought him to the apostles. Barnabas became his advocate, and the result is that the church accepted him and the gospel advance exploded. Barnabas wasn't worried about his own safety. He wasn't worried about his own reputation, but he was willing to take great risk, take up his cross, and follow Jesus in being a gospel proclaimer and encourager. We, beloved, must be willing to take risk on the sake of this glorious gospel. It means that this gospel may place us in dangerous places. It may place us in 
opportunities that our uh, reputation may be risk. It may put us in places that people may doubt us. It may put us in places where we feel like we are up against a wall. But beloved, we believe as a gospel encourager that we are willing to take risks for the sake of the glorious gospel of Christ Jesus. The second mark we see of a gospel encourager found in the life of Barnabas is this. A gospel encourager sees the gospel of grace at work in people. Oh, Barnabas had witnessed the conversion of Saul in Damascus. But while others questioned the sincerity of Saul's faith, Barnabas saw the roots of grace. We cannot be people that see people as permanently fixed in their alienation from God simply because they have committed or are committing one of a man-made list of worst sins. Beloved, there is no graduated list of sins. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Barnabas didn't look at Saul and say, oh, he's a murderer. Oh, he is insolent. Oh, he is a, a, a one that is a, a Pharisee that is going after and pursuing to death and prison our beloved. We cannot look at people and judge them by a man-made list of sins, but we must look into the heart of people and see the 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 way place that the gospel of grace could make root in their lives and pray to God of heaven that the gospel of grace would take root in their lives. So in turn, we must have eyes that are quick to forgive and see the evidences of God's grace at work in the lives of others. And the third mark we see of a gospel encourager found in the life of Barnabas is this. A gospel encourager is humble and willing to stand in the background. We see throughout the book of Acts that after testifying on Paul's behalf, that Barnabas fades into the shadow of Paul's ministry while consistently helping place Paul in the most crucial of places. Barnabas was a trusted disciple, and he was sent to Antioch to preach the gospel. But then we see in Acts 11, 25-26 this, that, that Barnabas sent went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. You see, Barnabas was humble and willing to be in the background. He saw this gift that, that the Apostle Paul would have. He saw this, this gift that Saul would have in, through his conversion to be able to spread the gospel. And Barnabas was humble and willing to, to put Paul in the foreground as he faded into the background. But the last mark we see of a gospel encourager that we see in the life of Barnabas is this, that a gospel encourager is patient. Later we will see in Acts, Barnabas and Paul separate over John Mark and his usefulness to the mission of the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Barnabas believed in John Mark the way he believed in Paul. Barnabas is patient with Paul and with John Mark. And because of that patience, twice in his epistles, Paul explicitly writes that he needs John Mark because John Mark is useful to Paul in ministry. So a man that Paul and Barnabas separate over, John Mark, because Paul believes that John Mark is a deserter, ends up becoming a man that is useful in ministry for Paul later in the epistles. This is again we see from a gospel encourager. That a gospel encourager is patient, long-suffering, is willing to, uh, to... to, to invest in discipleship and to invest in people by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas had faith, and we should have faith that even the most vile of sinners can be transformed by the beautiful gospel of grace of Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, 
God's, may God's truth wash over us today with the message that the gospel is the power of God into salvation for sinners. So let us be about taking risk, seeing the work of gospel grace, being humble and being patient so that we can see the spread of this glorious gospel to the ends of the world. Well, this week we are praying for the country of Romania. We are praying and praising for our pilot family who began their process four years ago, that they are home now with their daughter. We are praying for our next family and specifically as the mom has to update her Romanian passport. We continue to pray for patience and understanding as this has been a, a long process for her and for this family. We're praising the Lord for our, our unadopted partners on the ground, Petri Groza. He and his wife, Kyle, and their three girls, Lydia, Miriam, and Sophia, run the Region Foundation. Through this foundation, he's able to reach unreached people groups in local villages um, in Fagaras. We're also specifically praying for the discriminated gypsy people and families living in these harsh conditions that the gospel of grace would come to them. We're praying for two teenagers currently living in the Horizon of Hope Center, a center that falls under Ringen Foundation. The desire of the center is to help young people who are seeking guidance and direction for their future, both spiritually and vocationally. We're praying for Edie and Yanni and Carly who live at the center and all the Ringen Foundation volunteers as they pour into the community of Fargaris. We're praying for Camilla Lordach, our contact at the National Authority for Adoption. We pray we can continue to develop a strong relationship with her and that communication would be clear. Praying for Gabriella Komen, the president of the ministry of, in Romania. Pray for consideration as she is the one who makes decisions on matching children with families. Pray for Miss Ina, our contact at the U.S. Embassy, as she works with our families and country. And pray for our, that our relationship with her would continue to grow. We pray for wisdom and discernment for our Lifeline team, for Big Daddy and for Jana and for Brianna and Toria. And we praise the Lord for our Florida State Director, David Wooten, and the strong relationships he has with the Romanian people. We pray as he gives insight and guidance while working in this difficult country. We praise the Lord for the unadopted partnership that has evolved in Romania and specifically uh, for some time in November where Dr. Rick and Jana and Tracy were able to spend time uh, teaching and attending the Romania Without Orphans Conference there in Romania and teaching more about how families count can be employed in Romania. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for the country of Romania. We pray specifically that the gospel would come be known in the highways and the byways, that you would, uh, Lord, just decrease the persecution among the gypsy and the Roma people, uh, that you would uh, improve their living conditions out of the harshness of these conditions, that you would impress upon them the grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would use even these gypsy and Roma people to be proclaimers of your gospel throughout Romania. We pray for Petri and Kyle and their family as they lead Ringen Foundation. We're thankful for them and opportunities that we have with them. We pray for their volunteers and their staff as, as they take the gospel to the unreached and as they take the gospel in the highways and byways of Fargaris and throughout Romania. We pray for our contacts at the Central Authority and the National Authority for Adoption, that they would continue to uh, be in great communication, that we would continue to develop great relationships, and we would continue to see avenues uh, increase for children to come home to forever families that love the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for uh, Miss Ina at the U.S. Embassy, that you would just continue to uh, propel that relationship forward and give wisdom to our team, to, to Big Daddy, to Jana, to Brianna, to Toria, to Dr. Rick, to David Wooten, to Tracy, and all of our team as we press through unadopted and adoption avenues and families count avenues to reach the children, the families, and the people of Romania with your great gospel of grace. 
We ask all these things in your great name, the name of Jesus. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieLewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.